Hey, this is Casey from Burritos the Band and the Knoll Family Foundation. You're listening to Bradley's House Podcast. Hey guys, welcome. Come on in, grab a seat, make yourself at home as you should when you are a guest in Bradley's house. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. She is the proud mother of a boy graduating from high school today and our (laughs) host, Ms. Kelly Noel. Kelly, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thank you, Jared. How are you doing? I'm amazing. Happy to be here. And uh, once again, Kelly, you have lined up an amazing guest for us in Bradley's house. Who are we hanging out with today? Jarrett, we are honored to have with us today a legendary drummer who's played with some incredibly influential bands, not the least of which is arguably the most iconic alt-rock band, Jane's Addiction. Please welcome Stephen Perkins to the show. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Hi, how are you? Oh, it's a pleasure. And thanks for the introduction. When you think about music and what and, and what it does, it, it just goes out into the air and it disappears. But what it does to the listener, it, it hooks your heart. Ah. And what I love about music, uh, you know, you can sit and stare at a Picasso for hours, but you don't get a hundred thousand people jumping up and down to Picasso. <laughs> you need a, you need good you need a good song for that. And and uh, I'm happy that you know Jane's Addiction did influence and, and throw a rock into the ocean. And the ripples and the waves are still going somewhere. Yeah, Looking that's powerful. For- yeah, yeah, it's powerful stuff. I think a lot of times people who don't don't have that same response to music underestimate the power of it, and I, it's really something that that can impact someone's life in such a powerful way. Absolutely, um, Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. He said when he flew into Woodstock, "You've never seen this many people." together unless it's a battlefield only music mm. could bring this kind of you know you'll see soldiers march and you'll see you know these these huge invasions and it's organized but when you see mm-hmm. a show at reading or at glastonbury or wood you know of course woodstock you see all these people together dancing and they're there for the same reason to enjoy each other and the music is the glue the music yeah. is the Oh, is the lubrication. Yeah. Absolutely. So I love that. So, that's really good. I have to start out by saying our a good friend and one of our board members for the Knoll Family Foundation, Yasad Williams, who's the drummer from Pepper. I told him we were going to be talking with you. And he said, tell him I said, what's up? I guess you guys played the Steel Pulse tribute show to Grizzly together. That's right. What a night. And I always tell this to musicians when they talk about the feel of a drummer. You really recognize what it feels like when you sit in with an authentic reggae band. You mm. test, you test your feel. If you got good feel, well, you play with these guys and then you can really find out because, you know, punk rock and jazz and, and all the great rock and roll, it's got energy and it's got urgency, but reggae has got this rock steady uh, hook. It's an anchor and you cannot sway from it. You got to sit there. And I loved, I loved doing that night. Absolutely. I bet that's good stuff. Now, tell me, you're a Los Angeles native, right? 
That's right. Born and raised, 1967, here in Los Angeles. Kind of rare these days to find someone who's born and raised there. Most are A lot of the musicians that that I grew up with, um, when they stuck to it, they turned into the you know what we know now is Tool and Rage Mm -hmm. and No Out. And and as when Jane started, there was already Fishbone and and uh, Chili Pepper and X. And there's a lot of great musicians in the community and a lot of great artists, filmmakers and, and, you know, photographers and, Mm. and writers. And it's just, it was bursting back then. It always is. You have to find it. Yeah, for sure. It's competitive in LA, but there's so much to draw from. And of course, a lot of the people coming here to, to grab some of that energy. I I think we have enough to share, you know, I mean, just cut. Absolutely. you know, it's a, it's a big camp, but everybody's got their own tent. But uh, L.A. <laughs> for me was like growing up in L.A., I had the, the Venice drum circle every Sunday. And mm-hmm. I was a bit shy. I always wouldn't join the drum circle. But I was so attracted to the sound and the smell and what I thought was incense. Now we know is 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 what le- <laughs> is legal now. It was, you know, was that was me, incense. But at the same time. <laughs> I, it was there was a it was a celebration of music and smelling yeah. this great jasmine, which you know, and they say the word jazz came from New Orleans when all the girls would dance all night wearing jasmine perfume, oh. and the, and the whole room sounded and smelled like jazz. It's so oh, cool. God, that's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So L.A. is definitely um. A great spot. It's it's competitive, and there's a lot of people, you know, stepping on each other. But it's also a great community of music and art. And I think there's um, there's room for everybody, as I said, to really push and and pull each other along to reflect and mirror, you know, our life and put it into music and and into canvas, etc. Absolutely, yeah. L.A. can be a grind, but I think it's also very vibrant and soulful if you know where to look for it. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as the music world, every little nook and cranny of L.A. has got somewhere to play. Mm-hmm. And you, you can do gigs. I mean, this, you know, uh, in a sense, I guess, you know, B.C. before COVID. And then we're going to have, <laughs> you know, we'll have A.C. after COVID. But there are so many gigs you can get your, your you can get your feet wet every night if you want to play somewhere. And, and that's yeah. what I love about L.A. And also... As a professional musician, sure, you want to get paid, but it's not about the amount of money. It's not about the zeros. It's about having a gig on a Tuesday and then, you know, it's at a bowling alley. So what? You're playing. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Friday, you're playing a proper gig at the Roxy on the Strip and mm-hmm. maybe stay at, you know, at a Venice barbecue, a beach party. But it's just a great place to, to play and, and have people enjoy music together and good food and good laughs. And also it puts your talent on the line, your reputation. You're not saying, hey, check out my record I made in 1990. I'm so proud of it. Well, uh, 30 years ago, what are you doing? Well, mm-hmm. come see me Sunday. Come see me Sunday yeah. at, the, at the barbecue and I'll show you what I'm up to now, what I sound like now. So it, it's a good way to keep your chops up and keep your reputation tight, watertight. Absolutely. When did you start playing drums and when did you realize that you had something special? <laughs> well, uh, at eight years old, I, I, I see some photos around them, you know, my parents' house. When they passed on, we were able to go through their drawers. And I found some mm-hmm. photos. I never really remembered playing little bongos at eight. But I did <laughs> get drumsticks 
and proper drum lessons at 11. And I played a drum pad and uh, I played pad and pillows. So I had to learn how to bounce. That was really the romance is holding drumsticks and learning how to bounce off a surface. And I didn't mm -hmm. have a snare drum, no bass drum, no pedals, cymbals. So there was this, uh, this, this internal love affair of bouncing off different surfaces and, and learning how to get speed and dynamics. And then when I finally got a snare drum, wow, it was loud. It was abrasive. It had, it, it was, it had friction, you know, it broke silence in such a, a violent way. So I had to relearn how to be dynamic with this drum and be musical and not just a firecracker, wow. you know? And, and then I got a drum set after my bar mitzvah. I took all my money. I made 2,800 bucks. I, I, my Ooh. parents save a little. So I took 2,200. I saved 500 bucks out of it. <laughs> and I went and bought a drum set. And that's the drum set I used on the first Jane's Addiction, both Jane's Addiction, the first two records oh and, and everything I've done. But all my gigs as a youngster at the Troubadour and the Roxy at 15 and 16 was this one drum set. But there is different levels of my drumming when I found, uh, I guess, like you said, something special about the romance I had with the drum set was, was, you know, so personal. And I still mm. have, especially in the last year, I had to do a lot of thinking, what am I going to do with this energy that I usually put on a stage and go nuts right. for it? So I've been practicing a lot on the snare drum, or what they call the rudiments. And that's mm -hmm. what I started on when I was a kid. And there's this great historic thread of my favorite drummers, Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa, Chick Webb, Elvin Jones, mm -hmm. jazz drummers. They all read from the same book that I'm reading from, the rudiment book. So mm -hmm. I have this, this feeling that I'm riding this wave of history, practicing the same exact rudiments. They could be boring. They might not be creative. They're not, by, they're not coming from my heart or reflecting my personality, but I'm practicing something that the greats told me this is what they started on. So the last 12 months, I've been kind of digging into the rudiments and getting a little more involved with the chops and what I said earlier, the, the bouncing off the surface and remembering what it feels like to, to really kind of microscope the striking of a drum. You know, the drummer comes into a room, it's quiet, and we break the silence almost with, like I say, with a violent act. You, yeah. You're not a music, you're not a piano player or a guitar player where you can brush the silence and then stroke <laughs> it's it. It's not a gentle touch. You don't stroke it into like, you know, a yeah. sound. you can do it with brushes and mallets. But a drummer really comes in there and lays down a pocket and you yeah. have to have confidence. You have to have security in that and you have to understand feel like I was saying about reggae. Mm -hmm. And and then and you get better and better at it. And and some athletes have to hang up the, the you know, the glove. But the drummer never needs to, to, doesn't have to hang up the sticks, man. He goes until he drops and <laughs> get better true. and better. So, you know, it's, it, it's really about who you play with because you want to play with people you like and have a good time with them. But it's also playing with people that are better than you or can take you somewhere like a tennis match. You don't mm. want to play who's not as good as you because you they'll never return the serve. Right. You really want to have uh, an equal or a better match when you're jamming with people. And that it takes you to another level because you have to use your ears and all those chops and everything that you worked on that goes in your back pocket. You just let those kind of simmer yeah. and you be, you be creative and you converse. So I'm still searching for that, 
special equation between what my brain wants my hands and ankles and feet to do on the drum set and if I can pull it off. And that's the quest. And never get in the way of the song, you know. And I remember Ringo, Ringo Starr would, would talk about the Beatles music and say he would play the song. And as a kid at 15, I didn't get it. And now I understand, you know, you, you know what the lyrics are. You know what the, 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 the lesson is in the poem, what the, what the essence and the feeling of the tune is. And put that into your drumming, not just beat. Put yeah. an, emotional, an emotional experience. And that's what I love about Sublime and a lot of the bands mm. that take it from the heart and aren't afraid to show a sensitive side. Right. And Jane's Addiction had that, Porno and other bands. It's mm -hmm. psychedelic, it's punk rock, but there's something sensitive and something, you know. That vulnerability. Have, yeah, we all have it in us and we don't have to hide yeah. from it. And great music and art will, will show it to people in an honest way, never a fraudulent way, and and never preachy, but always a reminder of what it feels like to be, you know, a thinking, you know, Human. being uh, yeah. in this world of today, you know, and, and battling everything from the the, the onslaught of, of the friction of, you know, politics aside, but the friction of politics yeah. and the division and who it doesn't matter what you believe. I mean, it's divisive. You know, and True. if you go to uh, you're out of high school and you love your football team and you're at the game, but you see a girl from the other school, you want to talk to her. But everybody knows that's not the school because they're, they're mm. enemies of your team. You know, you have to break it, man. Come on. Who cares if it's divided? If you right. want to make fun of somebody and you want to listen, you want to talk and trade ideas. That's where we should be headed. Exactly. Priorities. Yeah. You know. The drum beat is the, is the backbone of every song. And I feel like it's one of those things where sometimes people don't notice it unless it's off, you know, yeah. but it's yeah. such a key component. Um, was that ever an awkward thing for you feeling like maybe you were underappreciated if you were doing a good job and people would only notice if you weren't doing a good job? Wow. That's interesting. Well, you know, there, I did a session and I said, how was it? And the guitar player, <clears throat> who is a session master who does them all the time, five days a week, working with different musicians and sight reading and possibly doing music that he doesn't love or does, but it's really a, it's a session job. Mm -hmm. He said, Hey man, I never had to look at you once. Mm. So you did great. You never, right. like you said, you never <laughs> stuck out and went, what, what's he trying to do there? But, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess my number one, um, I, you know, if I was going to shoot for a target, it would be to make people move their hips mm. and not know why they're doing it. And, yes. and, and it's it, the, the actual feeling of the beat can be yep. complicated. It can be off time or to a weird signature, but I think it really does when it feels good and it grabs you. It's like a pleasant breeze or a summer breeze. Mm. If you're a hundred pounds or 900 pounds, it caresses you no matter what size you are. The, the air, the breeze doesn't care what your figure is it just yeah. wraps you and i think a good song and a good beat doesn't care where your head's at it doesn't care where you're from or what your age is it's timeless and it just feels good and and when we did the song pets by porno uh -huh. harry read me the lyrics and it was about aliens coming to earth and yes. us us being good pets we'll make great pets and mm -hmm. i thought of a clock ticking and it was the clock ticking for the the time that the, the 
the aliens were going to show up. And I, that's how the beat came around. It wasn't from a baseline uh-huh. or a car riff. It was me trying to imitate a clock. Tick, tock, tick. And that was the reference in my head. And, you know, I just came up with this beat. That, but that's where it started. The poem and the clock, the, the countdown of when uh-huh. the, the aliens are coming. So to me, beats can come from most anywhere, you know, inspired by a woodpecker or or a poem you know just kind of like let it seep into your um your arsenal and then and hopefully people can catch the the ride and 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 you know it kind of surf your your beat in a sense absolutely god that's beautiful i love that analogy of the breeze that's so perfect that's oh, that's exactly you. it yeah that's great it, it- it really is. And, uh, just so you know, Stephen, I'm, uh, I'm a little younger. Uh, I'm, I'm 37 and, uh, I, I spoke to Peter about this as well. So I might as well put it out there and let you know how fucking traumatized I was by the song pets and that I literally laid in bed at night thinking like, this is going to fucking go down. The aliens are coming and we are going to be their pets. And like, this is, this is going to be a thing. Now, the, the part to that is the reason why that song stuck out to me as a 10 year old was because when pets came out, my dad pointed it out to me on MTV and explained it to me. And he goes, these are the guys from that other video that you like, you know, the ones that are shoplifting in the store, which was like my favorite video to this day on MTV. And as a kid, I remember watching that thinking, yeah, all these guys are going to jail. You can't, you can't go steal meat from, from the grocery store. What the fuck? What are they thinking right now? And, uh, that that was, you know what, man, I mean, those kind of, um, exploration of art and visuals and audio and all that, when you put it together, it's so exciting that Jane's had the chance with the great Warner Brothers, who we had other offers with Geffen and Capital, some really good labels. But Warner Brothers said, here, we want to show the world what it's like after hours in Los Angeles, late night, midnight on. Everybody knows what the strip looks like with Motley and GNR and Poison. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what, you know... Uh, Ohio, you know, different places of Georgia. We got REM. What is it like in the middle of the night in LA downtown? <laughs> uh, and they were very cool. Let us do our artwork, our own, our own videos, our own producing of the record. No one ever showed up to style the band or photograph the band in a certain way that would look like every other band they just did. And right. we had a lot of freedom. And I'm happy that kind of seeped into your world and other people. You know, MTV, I have an 11 year old son. I'm trying to explain to him that, you know, FM radio before MTV was based solely on songs. Mm. And then MTV had the visual aspect and you didn't have to have a great song if you had a great looking video or a great mm. looking band. But I said, Jane's Addiction and a few other bands had a chance to use this medium and make art. And it didn't have anything to do with the creation of the music that stood alone. And then right. let's just go make a video. That's kind of quirky, weird, fun, deep, dark, whatever you want to do, you know, a Marilyn Manson video or a, or a Van Halen video or, a, you know, whatever it is. Everyone was telling stories. Some were great. Some were crappy. But it did. It influenced 10 year olds around the world. And I think, mm. that's, you know, that's really cool because you weren't listening to FM radio, but you had MTV on. I mean, come on. It's there. Traumatized. I was. <laughs> I, 
I literally like pictured like me living in my dog's crate and like the aliens bringing me food and water. Like I had a whole plan. I was going to be a great pet. I was set up for it, but I just thought that you should know. And, uh, and then every single time I went into the grocery store and I saw a woman with a muumuu, I'm like, she's going to stick a fucking pineapple up there and walk out here with it. I know how this goes down. I saw it on TV. So yeah, well, we, we made sure in the, in the video that no one was able to steal anything that was actually capable of stealing. I had a broom and a turkey. Now, you're not getting away with those. Okay? You know? no. but, and the funny thing is, the band, when you look at that, uh, to me, it's friendship. And it's, it's a good time. It's a postcard for my life. And that's what I love about, you know, I mean, there's something great about the Chili Peppers and Metallica and stuff. They've been around for 40 years. They don't stop. Jane's Addiction and Porno and other bands, we've had to ebb and flow, but we never want to fake it on stage. If we're not getting right. along, if we're not feeling lovely, let's not go do a tour for six weeks and take the money and run. Let's yeah. just let's just do something else separately. So at least when, when you do see Jane's or Porno, it might not be as often as, as we like, but it's proper um, art. It's, it, it's a voodoo art, you know, shaman ritual because we don't do it often. Mm. It's like a sweat tent. You know, you want to do them, you can't do them every day. You really can't. But there's an honesty to that. And I think people <laughs> exactly. appreciate that. Yeah. Definitely appreciate absolutely. it. So Jane's Addiction started the mid-80s. How did that come about? You said right after high school, huh? That's right. So my high school sweetheart, uh, her older brother was playing bass with Perry. Mm-hmm. And me and Navarro had a band. We were doing like metal shows in L.A. at the Troubadour and the Roxy and the Whiskey, and we were only 16, mm-hmm. 17. Perry and Eric, uh, 26 and 24. So they had nine, eight, nine, ten 10 years on us. That's Eric but, Avery, um, right? But yeah, so Eric Avery's da- uh, sister, Rebecca, was my girlfriend. So Rebecca's like, well, Eric and Perry are looking for a drummer. And I saw um, a great experience happened with a jam we did i was like vision i you know i had a visualization of like this is the most wild band if we had the right guitar player my best friend dave Mm. right and so there i was with ed on guitar and uh and dave and eric avery uh knew each other a little bit but they didn't really know each other like i knew dave so i kept telling eric let's bring dave along i love ed but my best friend is dave and he's like me he just wants to play and in a sense, we have a lot of fireworks and we're not showy, but we have a lot of chops. And Eric and Perry were into Joy Division and Bauhaus and oh, Susan yeah. and Echo. And there wasn't as much flash in the playing of those type of, type of bands, but very great songs. So there was this combination of me and Dave kind of showing off our teenage chops with uh, this mature songwriting that Eric and Perry brought. And so, you know, after about a week or two of me jamming with the fellas, I kept talking about Navarro, brought Dave along. And then that moment was the sound that you that you know of Jane's Addiction. It happened that night and uh, it never really got any. I mean, the the inspiration between the four of us, the chemistry, it, it never mm. changed after that moment. It really it really fit at that section. The formula was there. There was the right. rest the cookies were baking. It felt right. And right. it was obvious, you know? So um, we just kind of thought, let's make our own jewelry. Let's make our own t-shirts. Let's write our own songs. 
and let's book our own shows. So me and Dave were used to doing gigs at the Troubadour, the Roxy and the Whiskey. Mm-hmm. This band would just rent out a warehouse downtown L.A. and party from midnight till 6 a.m. Awesome. And so we weren't doing venues. We were doing yeah. like unusual, uh, you know, just get togethers surrounded by the Chili Peppers and and Tommy Lee and then Fishbone, the guys from X. And mm-hmm. then, you know, there's Faster Pussycat and there's the, yeah. the, you know, the cats from, uh, the, every, I guess the Sunset Strip would kind of end at 1 a.m. Our scene would start at 1 a.m. So there was a blend of, of like the strip plus post punk downtown LA. They were all gathering together. It was a really yeah. great blend of people. And, uh, me and Navarro were only 17, 18. We were the youngest ones there. We really were. That must have been a trip. Yeah, that was awesome. And, you know, to, to meet Anthony and Flea and Norwood and, you know, Kendall and, and Angelo and all these, Mike Watt, all these great, you know, the guy, you know, of course, Jello Biafri and mm. all these great punk rockers that really made an imprint. Uh, John Doe and Xene, they mm. embraced us. They, they told me and Dave, you know, that we're welcome into the scene. And, you know, if we need to shed our skin from high school and this strip, here's the place to do it. And, uh, and let's see what happens. So they were very, I yeah. guess, in a sense, you know, I felt, you know, caressed by a bunch of great, unusual people. And, uh, yeah. as a young artist and musician, it was perfect, perfect timing, great storm, perfect storm. Very, very welcoming scene. I remember seeing, Fishbone and the Mutts opened for Adamant in like 85, I think. Wow. And I just, my mind was blown with just the energy on stage. I'd been to a lot of shows, but I'd never seen anything quite like that. I mean, Fishbone has an amazing amount of energy. (laughs) And yeah, it was just, it was was eye-opening for me. It was super eye-opening to see a whole nother side of, you know, besides hip hop and all that kind of stuff. It was just it was wonderful. I, I, I think a lot of people had that same reaction when that whole scene you know, kind of started bursting. If you think about the, the, the specials yeah. and Fishbone of Minuteman, Chili Peppers, there was an influence of that funk that started in the influxing into Jane's first songwriting sessions. And we had Pigs and Zen and Idiot's Rule and, and, uh, Had a Dad. We had this mm. funk to us. And then we started embracing more of our song uh, exploration, the uh, three days and Ted. Uh, then she did songs that would go for six, eight, ten minutes. Yeah. But our the very beginning of the band, there was this influence by all this great L.A. funk that was coming out that we were kind of grabbing a hold of it too. It really seasoned the music that in a special way, I think, as well. The visuals in L.A. too, you know, people are flamboyant and they like to show off like peacocks. And that was always great <laughs> to be around. You know what I mean? It was it was great to dress up, and there wasn't no one was trying to be Poison or Motley, but they were. We were happy to see that happen, like the New York Dolls kind of kiss New York Dolls, yeah. the Elton John influence. But what you know, there was just a great embrace. Everybody was embracing, you know, a visual and a look. And I, you know, I think about with Jane's Addiction, if you had a Cure poster and a Metallica poster, you could be a Jane's Addiction fan. You know, we, we, you know, we were somewhere between all that, which was a great bridge. Yeah, it was a great place to be. And in 87, our agent, Mark Geiger, 
got us 40 nights with Iggy, opening for Iggy. Oh, wow. And it was a great punk rock audience to go around the country and introduce Jane's Addiction to. And then after that, we did 30 shows with Love and Rockets. And that's kind of like mm. a gothic, you know, the Susie and, and yeah. Echo crowd. So we were just opening for these bands that were this perfect audience for us to kind of gather up and make friends with. And, you know, yeah. we never did play with like, you know, Aerosmith or Motley or Van Halen, any rock bands. We played with more, you know, uh, psychedelic furs and uh, just unusual REM, you know, bands that I guess considered college radio at the time, not alternative. Right, for sure. Yeah. Now, you guys opened for Peter Murphy at Fender's yeah. Ballroom in Long Beach, didn't you? Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> So Sublime played at Fenders, which is why that kind of stood out for me that you guys played there. But what a cool experience, of course, to to tie into oh, Peter yeah. Murphy. and Yeah, I mean, to play with Love and Rockets, the three guys from Bauhaus, then to play with Murph. And uh, I ended up getting married at the drummer's house, Kevin, and me and Kevin are very close. Awesome. And Kevin's had a soccer Sunday, and I go and I'm playing soccer with Bauhaus. There's Peter Murphy <laughs> coming at me with a <laughs> Sports. No, yeah, yeah, like ball. You know, these are my goth heroes who are out there like putting like sunscreen on each other's forehead. But um, awesome. it was it was really to to open up for Murph and and have that like those like I say those influential and such mysterious musicians as a youngster, mm. like House or Joy Division or Echo or Susie. They're so they're not from this world and, right. and, and not even England. They're not from England. They're from another. They are. Yeah. You know, and, and, and kind of the roots of Bowie and the roots of, of some of the great, you know, uh, I guess in, in a sense, uh, you know, theater and cabaret meets rock and roll, you know, Liza Minnelli or who knows where it all kind of forms, but you know, Rocky horror picture show really kind of yes. started like too. But agree, um, yeah. it was great to be a young L.A. Sherman Oaks and, and you know, Westwood kid and uh, hanging out with Bauhaus playing soccer. That's something I'll never forget. Let me tell That's you. That's classic. That's classic. Yeah, really so, cool. Anytime there's a band, obviously, you have a group of super creative people that are all trying to get along. How difficult was that with Jane's Addiction? Because every single one of you guys are so talented in your own right, such amazing artists in your own right, trying to make that mesh together. What was that like? Well, in the beginning, it was very simple. It was a lot of, um, you know, uh, taking the time to microscope every moment of each song and each syllable mm. and, and then taking a break and going on a walk on Santa Monica Boulevard, grab some tacos, go back yeah. and do it again. That kind of bonding is hard to find, that kind of mending. And it, it really, of course, there was just, you know, a lot of conversations on what we were after. And you have to have those hangouts, too. It just doesn't happen in the room without right. the, the conversation. What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's the right. idea? It's on. The vision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? It, it was never really about finding people to like it. It was just about doing it to the best of our ability and i remember one of our early flyers was a collection of bad reviews and we found all these reviews and they're <laughs> terrible can't play my Love god, that. Oh my god. Know, many guitar solos and we used all those as our you know as the flyer for the next game 
But well, if that's so not I, punk rock, I don't know what yeah, it is. <laughs> so we are definitely having a good time using any pain and any pleasure as well, putting yeah. it into it. But, you know, it really was about four different guys with four different record collections, mm-hmm. and four different, uh, you know, groups of friends. We all dressed differently. And that was very healthy, you know? And I could reference a Van Halen tune to Navarro, but I couldn't reference an Iron Maiden tune to Eric. So that was, in a sense, there was a bunch of uh, dead ends, but that made it mm. good because they pushed through that. Right. I couldn't say, you know, that one song on that Maiden track, and everyone would say, yeah. Dave would say, yeah, I know. But the other two would say, what are you talking about? We don't know. <laughs> no clue. Yeah. So that's it. And they would say something about an obscure, you know, television record or or a strange, you know, David Byrne and, and Brian Eno <laughs> collaboration. <laughs> now I'm familiar with all of it, but then it was very raw, too. So yeah. we were very into sharing ideas and being um, open and flexible and, and, and pliable and not saying uh, in egotistical, that's my part. I'm not changing it. It was never that. And that's how the, and also paying attention to Perry's poems. He never had first chorus, verse, chorus, chorus, bridge out. He said, mm. here's a, a couple lines about my mom. Here's another little paragraph about my girlfriend. And then here's a whole story about like traveling alone on a bus. Let's wow. put that together. And none of it was like <laughs> four, you know, it wasn't four times of this, three times of that, repeat right. this. It was a poem. So we just would like chase the poem and the music would have to like conform in a sense that, okay, it's not going to go four times. It's going to go six. No, mm. seven, seven times. Okay. It'll go seven times. That's how many times he says it. And we'll, you know, and then you start embracing the weird arrangement around poetry. And that was cool because it wasn't like a lyric, you know, sheet. And, right. and that can kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, out. You don't want that. Right. And that could, no formula. That didn't happen. The song Stop doesn't have a chorus. The song Mountain doesn't have a chorus. Uh, Caught Stealing really doesn't have a chorus, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, all right. I get by. We don't have Coleman Jane says really doesn't. It just has a repeating verse. Right. You know, going to kick tomorrow. You know, it was just yeah. poems. So that really, we, we embraced the oddity of making music our own way. And one song could be a surf tune. One song could be a metal tune. One song could have a, a ballad intro and then a psychotic ending. And so I, there was no rules and, um, and plenty of dedication to each other. I think there's a purity in that too, of not feeling like you don't have to follow the rules. It gives you the freedom to Absolutely. do whatever you want to do. You know, and we weren't looking for a deal and we weren't looking for a uh, a pat on the back. We were just looking to get weird. And we, yeah, exactly. We were surrounded by the right team uh, of of like, you know, late night voyeurs to watch us kind of explore that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, in a, on a much more somber note, so Dave had a very well-publicized struggle with heroin. How did that, his addiction and then subsequent sobriety affect the band? Well, you know, drugs were hand in hand with the the beginning to the end of the band. And I think like anybody, if you see them go off the deep end, if they're eating too much, if they're, you know, doing anything too much, uh, it's not a good way to live and not a good way to be productive. But especially, you know, when you do something that'll present not only this, you know, situation where your health is at hazard, 
but your mental health is so fragile. And mm. if you're, if you, if you're, de- people are depending on you and you feel that kind of pressure that could push you away from your friends. Right. So it was, to me, it was, it was the worry of losing a friend, uh, physically. Yes. But also the emotional contact and the, the trust that that's, that's heartbreaking. You want your friends to love you and trust you and back and forth. And of course mm. there's going to be a, you know, disagreements, but you don't want to see someone, you know, hide from you because either they're, they can't face the day or they can't face the reality of, of what's happening. Right. But uh, Dave was never, as all band members, they never really were into like uh, a, I guess in a sense, um, let's do it and find some kind of answer. It was to escape pain. Right, right. You know, I mean, it wasn't let's get high and go out to the desert and kind of dance around and find, you know, write a song, you know. Right. It got got to the point where it was just to escape, you know, all the, the... and I think the dream was to be in a band and not have a real job and to enjoy it. So what we were escaping, I, I was still kind of lost. I really wanted to, this is where I wanted to be. Right. Uh, that was it's- my dream to be on a bus on our way to New York city. And then the next night to go play Boston and then Philly and then up to Toronto and, you know, and it wasn't miserable. So I tried to stay on track of what my dream was and I did uh, survive, I guess, you know, un, unscathed and no scars from, you know, falling off the, the, I guess, you know, the wagon to the point where I couldn't perform. I wanted to be mm. an athletic drummer. I wanted yeah. to be uh, always reaching this potential of like, you know, uh, how do I, like I said earlier, get the brain and the body to do the same thing on the drum set. So I had my own quest, but yeah, you know, those, it's not even the, the, the experience of seeing somebody, you know, hurt themselves or get, or, or, you know, not be available emotionally or physically for you. Right. But it, it definitely it changes the way the band, the, I guess in the sense, what the band's capable of. And you always want to, you know, just kind of keep reaching that potential. So, you know, it, it, those are those speed bumps and those roadblocks, but you never take anybody, you don't blame anybody. You don't, you don't get mad. You don't, think it's a personal jab at you or your band or your business. You know, it's just a, it's a personal thing that's they're going through and it's the timing of it. Now, if Dave was a dentist or if he was a, a, an accountant, he probably have the same, you know, issues. It wasn't rock and roll, you know? So uh, that's, um, you know, it's, there's something to be learned, I guess, in the sense your best work, It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be high. You don't have to be recovering. You don't have to be, you know, uh, you know, hurting to get high. You know, you just have to put your mind into your work. And, and of course you should stay healthy and also enjoy some of the goodies that the world offers, but nothing should be more important than your family and your, and your music or whatever that outlet is. And that, I think that's what happened. That stuff gets in the way of, of the music and the friends. And that's just, that's the real shame because, you know, it's all, everyone has a right to escape and get away and also, you know, be private. And, and I understand that there's a need for that. Yeah. And that's the thing with a band, a band's a, it's like three or four people completely married to each other and you have to learn and to, uh, 
you learn the strengths and weaknesses of everybody and you learn to accept those and help each other get through and, and get better at whatever needs to be filled up. Absolutely. That's a great perspective. Well, I think one of the things that, that the Jane's Addiction fan base really appreciated was your ability to sort of reinvent yourselves multiple times, whether it was porno for pyros or, you know, it was, I, I loved the example that you guys said of being talented musicians that, that aren't just tied to one thing, not just tied to one sound, not just tied to one band. And, and I think one of the beautiful things about your career is how you have been a part of so many different projects and, and created these individual sounds that still have the same power and the same meaning for the audience. And that's, that's really unique and really special. And that's, I think you're to be commended for that for sure. Well, thank you. I mean, my job is always to kind of, uh, stimulate the musicians I'm playing with and, and vice versa. And I'm always looking for this hook where people can rely on this drum part. That's the, this blueprint that feels good. That's memorable. That's lyrical. That's it's a, a musical drum part. And it is hard to be a musical drummer. I mean, like I said, you know, it's like a, you have to escape the firecracker. It's just mm. crack, snap, crack, snap, you know, <laughs> but it's not really what you play. It's what you don't play. It's the silence in between the, the striking that adds mm. the feel and the tension. And I always think about a uh, Tarzan letting go of one vine, flying through the air and grabbing another and then swaying and swinging. That's what a drum, that's what the, the pocket is like. Yeah. You, you let go with the vine and you're in the air and you know, there's another one and you're, it's a cliffhanger. It's always a cliffhanger. Mm going to grab the vine and you grab it and you move on and so drumming has that sense almost like a yo-yo you can throw yeah. it down bring it up as quickly or slowly as possible so there's this great elastic uh, experience you have as a drummer and it has a lot to do with um you know and i guess in a sense of what einstein was saying you know if you think about how is time bendable and pliable and and what makes it you know, move forward or is it still, or does past and memory exist? And with drumming, you can only be in the moment. There is no behind you or in front of you. It's like dancing. You're not thinking about the end of the song. You're dancing in the moment. And so drumming really brings the sense of life to me. And I feel like if you're not laughing or, or making love with your partner or making music, that's those are the moments that you're dying if you're not doing those things you know your mm. body's aging mm. but when you're when you're making music or making love or or you know eating a meal with your friend and smiling you know you're not aging at that moment you're just living and i i'm always trying to just find the spot where i'm living and not aging and that's what i try to put in the feeling of my drum parts and i'm alive i'm present i'm aware i'm alert uh, you know, if you, if you put a hot match on your finger for 10 seconds, it's going to take a long time. But if you're kissing somebody for 10 seconds, it goes by quick. Right. It's, the same, it's the same 10 seconds. So it's what you do with your time. So it's like, what does the drummer do with his time behind the beat? What it, that, it makes it feel good. It's that burn or it's the kiss. I want to kiss him. You know, <laughs> that's the better of the two. So and hopefully that kiss doesn't lead to a burn. Right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you know, so but there is there is something great about listening to Slayer or Metallica. You start doing things faster. And if you listen to mm -hmm. Mozart, 
Beethoven, you start slowing down your heart rate. And then, yeah. you know, it's so music just, it, it really is the soundtrack of, of what you do. And I'm ultra aware of cars and jets and birds and, and crickets around me. And I hear sounds and rhythms. And my wife is a photographer. She sees light and shadow. I'll walk mm. by something and she'll be like, whoa, do you see that? And she'll point something out. No. And I'll say, wait, did you hear that? And she's like, no, I didn't hear that. <laughs> oh, so because I hear it, she sees it, you know? It's That's like, awesome. But we're in the same place at the same time, you know? Right, so, right. And probably so, feeling I'm similar things. The rhythm. What's yeah. that? Feeling similar things, but in a different way. You're feeling Absolutely. it through the sound. Yeah. She's feeling it through the sight. Yeah. And I always wanted to be a drummer that stood out, but never, like I said, like Ringo said, never step on the tune, play the song, right. but stand out as a, as a drummer. That's like the police. I mean, you know, the drummer, Stuart Copeland, without him, they're good songs, but with him, they're urgent. They're, yeah. they're frantic. There's, they're unpredictable. There's an urgency, you know, and it's SOS and, and, and Roxanne are like Caribbean. Mm almost Jamaican, you know, melodies yeah. that they're playing on a ukulele. It's cool. But with him on drums, man, it's on fire. You know? mm -hmm. I, I get it. <laughs> so what are you working on now? What are some of the projects you've got going now? Well, that's a good question. So Jane's Addiction's got shows in September. Can't wait. Porno for, Pyros, Porno for Pyros is talking about kind of turning the key as well and getting, awesome. getting started. I've got a band that's called Think Floyd, where we do strictly pink floyd music and i have the the bass player from fishbone norwood uh awesome. the guitar player, guitar player from kid rock kenny olsen uh-huh uh, this young kid who sings who plays guitar Derek day so that's think floyd and then i've got a punk rock band with mike watt and pete stefano we do strictly stooges that's hell nice. yeah and, and then um i'm playing with the bass player from the strokes we have a band called summer moon Awesome. And so not much going on then. I got something going on. <laughs> then I got the eleven year old and summer starts in two weeks. So now I got the eleven year old have a summertime summertime party. Nice. And this is this is some great news. Uh hoping to launch before the year's done, Perkins Palace Records. I've got a label coming together and I'm my first band it hasn't signed yet, but they're really cool, badass band. I'm so excited. So as soon as everything comes together with Perkins Palace Records. I'll have a label, a launch party, and a great band, and that should be happening in the next four to six weeks as far as getting everything in place before the launch. So that's, oh, that's spectacular. Congratulations. That's a lot. Thanks. You've been busy during COVID. I really have. You know, I mean, I haven't played any gigs, yes, but I've got the same amount of bubbly energy. I got to put it yeah. somewhere. And the wife is like, go in the drum room, bring your computer, and start, you know, either playing the drums or finding ways to do creative things with your with mm -hmm. your ideas and then yeah just, you have to i'm doing it so thank you for asking yeah I, I think that's one of the beautiful things that's come out of this whole pandemic is it's forced people to have to shift their way of thinking and shift their outlets and and find new ways of doing things that maybe wouldn't have otherwise had to happen and so i think that's a really incredible thing i think we're going to see a lot of of interesting things come out of the art world, whether, you know, it's oh, yeah. music or, or photography or whatever. I mean, there's just, there's Abs so much that's going to come out of that. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and I, I kind of reference in the fifties, rock and roll with Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, of course, Elvis, little Richard. It was a good time. It was dancing. It was taking your girl out for a drive. Mm. 
And it was post WW2 in America where people had Cadillacs and washing machines. But in England during that time, they were still living in WW2 post rubble. And then what you got out of England was cream and Zeppelin Mm. and and Sabbath. And, you know, because they were still dealing with a dark world. It wasn't until Vietnam. When Vietnam happened, all of a sudden America had the doors. Uh, Jefferson Airplane, The Grateful Dead, uh, you know, Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. We were Mm. losing people and the music changed. And that's what COVID's going to do. COVID's going to change the music, the art. And it doesn't make it better or worse, but it is going to make it more thoughtful and 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 I think a deeper experience for the the listener and 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 viewer. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Stephen, you are just delightful. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. I know you've got a lot going on, and um, this has been a real treat for us. So thank you very much. A hundred percent back at you. Uh, you know, Sublime and Bradley changed the world. Music changes the world. It heals the world. So God bless everybody. If you don't believe in God, you know, sometimes I don't either. But bless you with spirit and happiness and good times ahead. That's beautiful. Yeah, this has been uh, this has been amazing. It's been a wonderful treat for us. In fact, uh, our producer um, Anna was a, is a musician and she has uh, she's covered most of the Jane's Addiction songs actually <laughs> throughout her time so cool. she's uh, she's been very excited sitting on the sidelines listening to all of this so this is uh, this has been absolutely amazing and uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this for us Bravo let's do it again I hope it was uh, uh, not too hard for the week wait but um, I think it was worth it thanks so much guys. Well, Kelly, once again, I, I say it every single week, but you lined up an amazing guest with us. And uh, I can't wait to have him back on because there's still so much that we didn't get into. Stephen Perkins was just, what a treat. He's so much fun to talk with. So many great stories, but just a genuinely great guy. Like that was the thing I was most impressed about. He, I seriously could have talked with him for hours. And it was really cool that he spent that time with us. Yeah, he's amazing. And I'll tell you what, he's um, he's way too normal, right? Because you see the way Perry is on stage. We had Peter on the show. And then, you know, to, to know that he was bandmates. To, and he's just kind of like this normal, really cool, laid back, awesome guy. And uh, and not that not that the others aren't, I'm sure. Peter was amazing. I had a lot of fun with him. And, but like, you know, those just like seem like crazy guys. So I figured, wow, these are all like really crazy guys. And then he was just kind of down to earth and cool. I have a feeling he can get pretty crazy. That's just my impression. But I did love how passionate he was about music and the analogies that he had. And the, he just seems very, very in tune with the power of music. And I, I loved that about him. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, I can't wait to, to have him back on. Now, guys, you're used to us talking about it every single week. Um, of course, the reason why we put these shows on and have these guests come and tell their stories, uh, it's all for a reason. We are raising money to get Bradley's house up and built. You've heard us talk about it time and time again. You can visit the knollfamilyfoundation.org and get some more information on the foundation and Bradley's house. And Kelly, there's uh, a way that everybody can get some uh, donations in as well, correct? Absolutely. We have a link tree that makes it super easy and convenient, all the different ways to donate. And it's in the show description. So go ahead and check that out and make sure you follow it. It's got all our social media on there and everything. And also, if you have a business that you want to have advertised on our show or someone you know that would love to be a sponsor, 
please reach out to us at Bradley's House Podcast at gmail.com. And lastly, one thing everybody can do that doesn't cost anything, rate and review, subscribe. All of that really helps us when it comes to sponsors. And, um, and of course, then all that helps to raise money for Bradley's House. So we sure appreciate everybody liking our pages and, and subscribing and following. All that stuff really helps. Absolutely. And uh, again, that's pretty cool. People just have to shoot us an email and they can hear Kelly gush about their business or upcoming event on the <laughs> podcast. That's, uh, you can't beat it, guys. Uh, take advantage of that. So, <laughs> committing um, me to gushing, huh? <laughs> well, you know, you just, you do a really good job when you speak about, about companies I, that you're passionate about. I you do tend, tend to be to passionate gush, about right? companies that help out. I am very passionate about companies and people that help out Bradley's house. That's for sure. Cause we need to get this house built. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and we can all do it together guys. So Absolutely. go ahead and find the link tree in the description of the show, click it, figure out the best way that you can, can donate a dollar or two. And, uh, it really does go a long way. If you're listening to this right now and you're thinking like, yeah, what could my $3 help? Well, if there's a bunch of you guys that are thinking that it can help a lot. So, um, you know, we're, we're doing everything that we can. We're going to keep putting on shows, bringing out guests, having as much fun as we can. And, uh, and in return, we just ask if you guys had a little fun, if you learned something, if you were entertained, uh, go ahead and shoot a dollar or two in, in one of the easy payment methods that are set up in that link tree that Anna will get in there for us. Absolutely. Now, Kelly, we, uh, we like to end every single episode with a song. Honestly, I don't even know how it started, right? It just kind of became our thing. We, yeah. We end the, we end the show with a song, which why not, right? We're here to talk about music and, and life and all these other things. So why not end you guys out with some music? And, uh, this week we decided we're going to take another tune from the compilation album, The House That Bradley Built, available at law-records.com. You can also check out those video on Law Records YouTube page as well as our YouTube page, Bradley's House. And this week we are going to leave you guys with Garden Grove by the Common King. Hope you guys enjoyed. We had so much fun. Can't wait to see you next week. I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Noel. We're out of time. You don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. Two, 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 one. Turn me up, please. Yeah, yeah. Right there. We took this trip to Garden Grove Smell like new dog inside the van Oh yeah This ain't no funky reggae party Five dollars at the door It gets so real sometimes Who wrote my rhyme? I've got the microwave Got the VCR I've got the juice, juice Trunk of my car Oh yeah If you only knew That all the love that I found It's hard to keep My soul on the ground You're a fool Don't fuck around with my dog All that I can see I steal I fill up my garage Cause in my mind Music from all the love that I found Pull over, there's a reason why my soul is unsound It's you, it's that shit stuck under my
my shoe It's the still inside the van It's my bed sheet covered with sand Sitting through a shitty bed Getting dark shit on my hand Getting hassled by the man Waking up to an alarm Sticking needles in your arm Picking up trash on the freeway Feeling depressed every day Leaving without making a sound Picking my dog up at the pound Living in a tweaker pad Getting yelled at by my dad Saying I'm happy when I'm not Finding roaches in a pot Peace, Bradley. Big love. A walk.